Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Press Coverage. This is Theo Greminger, and I'm joined today for episode number three uh, with Josh Larkey, who's a good friend of mine. We were talking about in the pre-show. Uh, this is going to sound this is going to sound pretty good because Josh and I are on like a dozen podcasts together at this point. Josh, uh, I was very fortunate um, to have Josh on during his rise in fantasy as an analyst uh, when he came on the Go District several times. And then Josh just kept kind of getting bigger and bigger. Goat District got bigger as well, but not to the to the level uh, that Josh did. But Josh has always been really been um, you know really generous with his time, really generous with his takes. And I always enjoy talking to Josh because I think Josh, you're willing to take a stand on things, and you also think outside of the box. I think you hate groupthink mentality in fantasy, and I think you're always looking for edges. And I th- I think that's the way that I look at myself. And that's really the premise of this podcast. If you didn't uh, miss, if you didn't catch the first two ones, highly recommend listening to Adam Levitan and Sigmund Bloom. But I want to ask guests for sharp takes on things. I want actionable information. And Josh, this podcast really started because I think it's getting more difficult to find edges in fantasy football in the information age. Uh, so welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? Theo, thank you for having me. Doing well. And I think one thing you said that I took personally in a very good way was when you discussed how I don't like groupthink. And I feel like that's one of the remaining edges in this space is that a lot of people really don't like going against the grain. There's the rise of the these huge season-long fantasy football tournaments, best ball tournaments. So I'm thinking, okay, we're 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 really enjoying these formats where there's tens, hundreds of thousands of people in the same draft or in, like in the same tournament. And yet we're all trying to think about stuff very, very similarly. We're trying to copy the analysts we love and do exactly what they're doing. And it feels like now is as good a time as ever to kind of create your takes in a vacuum and then start to battle test them outside of that and figure out which of your personal homegrown takes are the ones that you want to stick with. Because if you don't have that aspect into your analysis, you're gonna, you'll probably draft some really good teams, but they will not be quite different or good enough to really separate yourself if they're starting to look just like dozens, dozens, hundreds of other people's. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really great way of looking at things. Uh, we had Hayden Winks uh, the other day on first class fantasy with Billy Muzio and I, and I think it's kind of like the underdog effect. You see underdog grow and it's kind of created like this, this environment where it's, it's wide receivers getting steamed up, quarterbacks getting steamed up. You're seeing it across all sorts of fantasy platforms and then, Josh, we we also have the little fun aspect that DeAndre Hopkins and Dalvin Cook, two guys that we would imagine finish inside of the wide receiver two and RB2 line, uh, are still out there ready to kind of ruin some of our valuations. So I think, you know, being being willing to kind of think outside the box, be bold and be aggressive with your builds uh, is is a very good recommendation, not only for best ball, but also for redraft. Are you starting to see, you start, you talk about, copycat builds are you being more willing to kind of reach around at adp not necessarily wildly but calculated uh reaches to try to make yourself look different yeah i'll definitely do some of that i actually think the the perfect ways to start to experiment with that type of drafting is a lot of these kind of flash in the pan underdog tournaments like the puppy or the Chihuahua. I'm probably forgetting some other cute little dog names, but essentially these tournaments that the Pomeranian, there we go. I knew I was forgetting a a big one. These tournaments that we know are going to fill within anywhere from what, two to seven days. 
if you're just drafting purely off of ADP, everyone's team's going to look the same. It's not best ball mania where it's open for like three and a half, four months. So you have months and months for players to rise and fall strategies to get really exciting. And then they, they start to taper off. No, no, it's just rapid fire. This is tournament. Everyone has the same ADP. ADPs are not moving more than one or two spots over that few day period. And I think that those are the perfect little incubators to try this because everyone is using identical ADP that will not change. They're drafting at as well, the same exact time of year. Yeah, I think that's a great one. And I just wanted to give you a quick shout out. You put together a really nice team over at the 33rd team, uh, the team at the 33rd team. Um, but <laughs> you, you've also uh, put together some, like some unique minds in the space. And I think you're covering a lot of topics. What sort of interesting things do you guys have cooking at 33rd team for the rest of the summer? We'll have a lot of fantasy content coming soon, kind of breaking down what it takes to be an elite fantasy option at different positions, which players are still being mispriced either too high or too low based on some of those qualifications, analyzing more in depth how rookies score at different positions and where to find value pockets there. And I, I think there's still a lot of people that aren't incorporating the value of play-by-play data into their analysis. So I'll have some stuff like that fantasy related coming out over the next few weeks. And then other team members that I'll shout out, uh, Ryan Reynolds, my co-host for our flagship fantasy embedding podcast. He has a ton of great content coming out soon. He'll have offensive line rankings coming out shortly. The man watches every snap of every game, uh, sometimes twice. So he's someone that I really trust. Uh, I think if if there was anyone that could just to tomorrow show up and be the head of scouting for an NFL team, someone like Ryan would definitely be my first pick there. And then Jordan Vanek, our head of DFS, has some really, really unique receiver research coming out soon. Uh, sort of like the name of the show, Press Coverage, looking at receivers against different coverage schemes and trying to find edges there based on uh, the way that certain receivers perform against different coverages. Some coverages are harder for receivers to perform against than others. So trying to analyze the guys that have shown elite potential in tougher situations are often the guys that are going to break out in future seasons. So a lot to come uh, on the site. And as of right now, everything on the 3013.com is free. So if you're a player profiler sub, you don't have to worry about picking between the two and who should I choose? Who gets my money? Give player profile your money and check out the 33rdteam.com as well. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. And, and Josh, you were very, very successful at player profiler and Josh's work is still up and running. If you want to read Josh's articles at player profiler, you can find them. There is an evergreen uh, stacking article that exists, but your new articles at, at the 33rd team are, are amazing as well. I believe you dropped some running back tiers or was it running back rankings recently? Those were just running back rankings. I'll have, more in-depth rankings for running backs with tiers, but the same style that I've been doing so far, with, you can see my pinned tweet, it's, it's right there. Uh, breaking down with one to two paragraphs per running back, kind of analyzing how I see them, what their outlook is like for 2023 in my eyes. And I think that's always very helpful to see how an analyst views players because you can agree, disagree, but at least I'm giving you a foundation to either agree with, poke holes in, add on to however you want to handle it. So I think that's always important just to be able to understand what's behind these takes, because ultimately you have a lot of takes. I have a lot of takes, but I think what's more important is what leads you to that position. Yeah, I know. I love it because you're giving written context. You're not just providing a ranking. I thought that was just great. Anyway, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. We're going to look at ADP values. We're going to look at finding upside. We're going to talk about the new dead zone, but first we're going to hear a read from our friends at Rival Fantasy. Oh, baseball season's heating up. It's all about baseball right now. You know, eh, baseball, baseball. Yeah, baseball is the most exploitable of the sports, especially on Rival Fantasy, rivalfantasy.com. Go there now. They have the fantasy book where you can take over under a certain number of fantasy points, and they have challenges where you can take player X or player Y. I get great pleasure out of fading Mike Trout into oblivion. And then don't forget about fantasy bingo, where you can say, okay, I think Acuna's going to steal a base today. I think that Freddie Freeman's going to have two hits based on the matchup. The lefty-righty and the pitcher-quality matchups that you could exploit are unlike any other sport. Go to RivalFantasy.com, 
Use the promo code PLAYER. They refund any losses up to 50 bucks, and they are a great supporter of Player Profiler. Everything we do, this show in particular, is only possible because of Rival. RivalFantasy.com. The promo code is PLAYER. Add bumpers like a boss right there, Josh. That's just that's just pro stuff right there. That that was that was good. As a former baseball analytics guy, I appreciate baseball being snuck into this one. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know your this is not a a, a Josh Larkey biography story, but it's you have a very cool baseball background. Um why don't you quickly share share that with people because I believe it was 2 years with Major League Baseball teams. Yeah, I got my start professionally in Major League Baseball. I Worked for both the Detroit Tigers and the San Diego Padres for the the 2018 and 2019 seasons. So kind of a unique way to ultimately break into the sports industry and eventually going from the team side to the gambling side. So I think I have a lot of good experience that a lot of other people don't have. And I try and rely on that because what that doesn't mean is that I do not have this, this storied fantasy career spanning a decade plus. So that, that's an obvious disadvantage, the obvious advantage is that it's kind of a unique career path. So that's why I always stress to people to rely on your own personal knowledge base. Because if I tried to act like I'd been playing fantasy for decades and decades and that that's where my takes were rooted, I would be fraudulent and that wouldn't even be my own personal edge because that's just not true. So it's very important for people to kind of capitalize on whatever your educational, professional, hobbyist background is. Yeah, I think it's very cool how coding and obviously the statistical nature of baseball kind of come into play with your, the way you look at fantasy. And I think that's, that's uh, you have a, a real sense of self in kind of the way you see the game. And I think that's really showing in your work. And I wanted to quickly start out, it's off the show sheet, but one question that I've been asking everyone, uh, pretty much everybody that's come on this show, as well as my first, uh, first class fantasy guest with Billy Muzio, is you do a lot of rankings and you do take a lot of pride in that and you go deep with it. Which player... If you could know their final stats among any player in football, who would it be? Maybe the player that's got the widest range of outcomes. Maybe the player that was just the most difficult for you to kind of project for this season. Oh, God. That, that is t- actually a great question. Uh, the first name that popped in my head was Rashad White. I Build just, on that one. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the, the running back dead zone more later, but he feels like a, a dead zone running back in pretty much every way except place on the depth chart. This was someone who had fine but not great draft capital going round three to the Buccaneers last year. Someone who had some great counting stats, but they're pretty deceiving because of the team situation. So he had over 50 receptions as a rookie running back. Oh my God, that's one of the best numbers we've ever seen until you realize that he was actually by far second on the team in running back receptions. Fournette had over 70. Rashad White hit a 50% snap share in just one of the final four games of the season. So he sort of captured a role, but not actually a big role. And it's Baker Mayfield. So it's a big quarterback downgrade, a big uh, play volume downgrade from Tom Brady. And there's also really good receivers there. We got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, generally good receivers hint at a lower running back target share because the quarterback's going to throw to the good receivers. I, I really just don't know what to make of this, but I've been a little below consensus on Rashad White just because I don't believe in the player's talent and I don't want to bet on this Buccaneers offense. But at the same time, it's a pretty putrid depth chart. I actually don't even know who the running back two is there. Is it Keyshawn Vaughn? Is it Sean Tucker? Is it another guy that I'm not aware of who's on that depth chart? Uh, I could totally see Rashad White being anywhere from Mike Davis, who we all remember on the Falcons from a couple years ago, who did nothing and was like the quintessential dead zone back all the way up to going, well, you know what? He kind of did it again. There's 65 catches on a stinky offense. And in PPR leagues, he's the RB 14. So I, I I'm leaning him right now. That's a really interesting one. I've gotten Kadarius Tony from a couple people. I've got Anthony Richardson. I've always said Deshaun Watson just because it's kind of like a, is this the, the cheat code of quarterback where I can get a potentially top three quarterback at like quarterback nine pricing, or is Deshaun Watson going to be closer to where he was last year, where he's a back end QB two. So I think he's like a wide range guy. It's a really great mental process. Um, and, and I, I really like your answer with Rashad white. You're definitely the first person that said Rashad white. 
and I'll say he's in an eye of the beholder situation. Like some people love it, some people don't. Um, but you have to love the fact that that the backs behind them are complete garbage. They're so, so terrible. That that helps out a lot. I'll throw Chase Edmonds' name in there if you want to get really really grimy. That oh, was that's right. That Chase Edmonds, Buccaneer, who they yes. brought in as well. So um, that's great for Rashad White. Um, so anyway, I want to I want to start out one one edge that we're seeing here is whether you talk to high stakes drafters for redraft, whether you talk to people just looking at ADP or whether you talk to people that are doing a ton of underdog drafts, a lot of people come away with the realization that I love drafting from the one-two turn. I love being in the back half of the first round because there's so much value in that early second round, and also you have a perception of a flat tier. That's that's great, but what is the way that we should maximize you know, the advantage of having you know, potentially the 12th pick, the 11th pick? You know, let's take this for a redraft context, Josh. And I'll tell you this. I'm in a FFPC slow main event right now. And I went with Amon Ross St. Brown and AJ Brown. I went wide receiver, wide receiver there. I think a lot of people are going wide receiver, wide receiver. And I've also seen some RB, RB people here. Is this the way you approach it? Are you going to double down on a position? Are you looking at balance? What would be your approach from the back? I generally try and double down on a position. I think my favorite is two receivers. Uh, there's kind of a nice collection of five guys that are, that are all pretty young with tons of upside. We have CD Lamb, Jalen Waddle, AJ Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Garrett Wilson. And those five, oh, that's it's pretty easy to see all these guys absolutely smashing in fantasy. And I'd say that the floors for all five of them are quite high as well. Where even if they have a a season where they don't live up to ADP, they're close. It's pretty hard to see these guys being healthy and putting up like 750 yards. I don't really see how that happens. I think these guys are all thousand plus yard receivers. I think running back, running back is interesting. I've done it a couple times when I can get Bijan Robinson and Saquon Barkley. I think that's a pretty nice combo where you could potentially get the two touch leaders at running back who also have pass game roles. But in general, I think the the receiver receiver start is best because if you go running back, running back, you're not picking receivers until 36, 37. And that's a, that's a pretty long time to wait considering how many receivers go early you're essentially missing out on like a tier and a half two three four tiers depending on how you want to how aggressively you want to group these guys together so i've generally thought the the two receivers is is the best way to do it and that ultimately the the guys who go i want to be balanced one running back one receiver you are not putting pressure on anybody because everyone else looks at that team they go wow that's a balanced team it's much better to try and kick off a receiver run or kick off a running back run once you've already gotten two studs at that position. I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. I think it's a game theory um, perspective where you're controlling the back half of the board rather than just trying to be balanced. And also, if I start running back wide receiver, it can work, but I'm also kind of punching up. I'm not only chasing one position, I'm chasing two. Whereas my thought mm-hmm. with an A.J. Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown start, and just to give it a little context, Saquon had been selected. Bijan had been selected. There, uh, Saquon's kind of a flip a coin whether he'll be there at the turn, but Bijan's always pretty much gone in these FFPC drafts. But my thought process was I'm going to like the running backs a little bit more at 36-37 uh, than I would the wide receivers. And also... I'm kind of fluid where I could take another wide receiver at 36, 37. Whereas if I went running back, running back, I'd almost be pot committed to taking wide receiver, wide receiver because of the scarcity of the position. So I think it's interesting. I, I, I like what you said. I'll throw out one scenario to you in a tight end premium format, like FFPC. Do you think that there's any weight in pushing up like a Mark Andrews, you know, like a potential tight end two overall to that to that level like he goes mid-second it just feels like you're losing an edge if you do that we'll talk about him more later but all i'll say right now is i agree with what you just said okay awesome well i want to take it keep this first first round discussion going another polarizing topic and conversation that we're seeing in the high stakes streets is austin eckler versus Bijan robinson i personally think as the summer moves along you're going to see a lot more Christian McCaffrey versus Bijan Robinson conversations for better or for worse as his ADP steams up. But right now, when you look at FFPC ADP, when you look at underdog ADP, these guys are the running back two and the running back three. 
where do you stand on this? I know that you have, uh, you know, you you have some confidence in the Chargers' offense, as do I, as does Billy Muzio, as do a lot of people. But with a changing of the guard at offensive coordinator with Kellen Moore, is there a chance that Austin Eckler comes down and be is like an eighty reception guy? And does that skew your thought process with this at all? Yeah, right now I'm leading Bijan. I wouldn't say that there's ultra high confidence that he's going to finish above Eckler, but I'll kind of explain some concerns with Eckler. So he had the target spike last season. He had over 100 receptions for the first time in his career. And you look at the depth chart and the injuries, and it makes sense. Uh, It's Justin Herbert. It's obviously going to be a high pass volume offense, a fast pace of play. Keenan Allen goes down for half the season due to injury. Mike Williams misses several games as well. Josh Palmer, when he's the wide receiver one in an offense, of course, your receivers won't be getting as much separation as you hope. And you're going to be checking the ball down to a very good pass catching running back in Eckler. Now they have not just Allen and Williams returning and healthy. Currently you have Quentin Johnston, who they selected in the first round. Josh Palmer is still there. Gerald Everett's a competent pass catching tight end. Donald Parham generally gets some type of work whenever he's on the field. And, As we mentioned, the new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, came from Dallas. Always two back committees. Obviously, if you have Zeke and Pollard, two pretty excellent running backs, you're going to have these committees. But it does make me a little nervous that no matter which one was performing better, they always stuck to that. And it's almost like they realized that both players played better when their touches were limited. Eckler himself has always been vocal about limiting his touches. I'm not sure if he gets all the goal line carries. When I spoke to Austin Eckler a few years ago at Player Profiler, when we partnered with the Austin Eckler Foundation, Austin himself discussed how he doesn't even like goal line carries that much because of the punishment that it puts onto your body. 200 carries, 100 plus targets, and pretty much back-to-back seasons. That's a lot of work for this 195, 200-pound running back. And I I love the Chargers offense. That's why I'm not going to be like, oh, let's fade Eckler. Let's bet against Eckler. I just think Bijan has fewer questions. We've got that that great Falcons O-line. Their schedule is so cake. They're, they're just going to be able to run all over opponents. I think they have a kind of a sneaky chance to be a top 10 scoring offense due to the schedule, due to that offensive line, due to the weapons that they have. And it's tough to see him not getting 300 to 350 touches given how they're going to structure the, the run and pass rates in this offense. I don't think Bijan's going to have as many targets as Eckler, but I think the touchdowns, and the raw volume make me lean Bijan. I'm with you. And I think that it's a, it's a tough, you know, for some drafters are a, I need to see it types. And with Bijan, you're never going to get that opportunity because he's going to be so good out the gate. And I also think that historically seventh year running back has not been a great bet. Um, you know, we see the the guys fall off at the position and even if they don't fall off, it's just odd to see them like finish number one overall. We only need to go back to Saquon Barkley to see a rookie running back finishing one overall position. And we also saw Najee Harris get inside of the top three. So I, I think that it's Bijan's just a better bet right now. And I, like you said, uh, you know, there's a chance that for Austin Eckler, if he loses some touchdowns and potentially also some receptions, you know, he could move down to like running back six overall level. Bijan, I think, is actually a very safe pick. Um, because they're going to be so so focused on him. Want to follow up to one thing you said though? You mentioned you think Atlanta could be a, a sneaky good scoring offense. I guess that would have them going back to 2021 Arthur Smith passing uh, attempts versus last year. Do you see one of the two? We don't need to talk about Kyle Pitts, but do you th- see just in general betting on one of the big two pass catchers in Atlanta? Is that something we should be doing as well if this offense is one you're betting on beating expectations? I'm actually going to discuss Atlanta pretty in-depth on a, a few 33rd team podcasts, so I don't want to spoil all the research there, but essentially Pitts and London look very similar to me. That's, and I think- the guy who's tight end eligible goes later in non-tight end premium fantasy drafts. In tight end premium, they seem to go pretty similarly. I... I'm generally inclined to root for the guy that plays tight end if they look similar enough. So I'll be diagnosing how these guys look very similar and how it's kind of tough to have Bijan, London, and Pitts all hit in this offense. It's probably going to be one, if not two. And I actually think London has the thinnest case to hit. So I'll be discussing why his target share is actually quite deceiving as a a pound-the-table stat for why this guy is about to explode in year two. 
Well, I think I can I can like get inside of Josh's head here, and I'm going to go ahead and think that your one of your takeaways is Kyle Pitts has more chance for red zone targets and deep targets, and I think that their targets in total could be a little closer than than some like. So I'm actually looking forward to your to your podcast at the 33rd team on that one. I just think it's an interesting one, and I think that when we look for fantasy points, oftentimes if we can just find really consolidated offenses touch wise then the, those those guys can beat expectations so i have been trying to take a couple of shots here especially on underdog i love that chicago atlanta um you know combining that game when i can and trying to have at least two atlanta falcons um that's interesting and do you think that ritter does enough this year to kind of hold on to his job for next year uh no i, no? I don't think so no. i okay. think it's pretty unlikely ritter is the starting quarterback for a all of this season and B into next season. Taylor Heineke already unseated Carson Wentz, and I think that was a tougher hill in many ways to climb than Desmond Ritter, given Ritter's draft capital, skill set, etc. So I'm pretty pessimistic about Ritter. I just think it's I think what's probably gonna happen is this will be a pretty good offense. And I think people are gonna look and say, you know what, it looks like Ritter's holding them back. A good example, I guess a parallel for people being like, what do you mean a functional offense and the, the quarterback gets toasted? We kind of saw this with the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo was always averaging about as many yards per pass attempt as Mahomes whenever he played for the Niners. I'm not kidding. Always around eight or more yards per attempt because of that system. And what did they do? They went after and traded up for Trey Lance. Obviously, that hasn't really worked out, but it's the idea that this is what teams do. If, if you realize that your quarterback is holding back the offense, even if their stats look okay on the face value, you're probably going to do your very best to upgrade there. We've seen Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Teams have been very aggressive trying to get the right quarterback. Obviously, it doesn't always work, but hey, in the case of Stafford, the Rams won a Super Bowl in their first year with him. And I think that that kind of showed the importance of not being complacent. Jared Goff was not a bad NFL quarterback. The Rams just said, you know what? Stafford is better. And sure enough, he was in fact better. So I, I think Ritter is probably in some type of situation where he will not be starting next year. That's probably the safe the safe money bet right there. Um, I want to touch on another subject. Right now, Travis Kelsey is the clear tight end one overall. It's not even close. And Patrick Mahomes is generally the QB one. You see some, you know, some drafters starting with Hertz or Allen, but almost most drafts, it's Patrick Mahomes. You also have the opportunity in most formats, and you know NFFC is different. Patrick Mahomes has been steamed up with the six-point passing touchdowns. But in underdog and also in FFPC, you're seeing a lot of Mahomes-Kelsey stacks. It sounds great, and last year this worked out well when Mahomes was going off the board later. But now when you have to use this sort of draft capital, is this a poor approach? Do you think that the opportunity cost of having QB1 and tight end one overall is kind of brought down by the fact that you're passing up on so many potential league winners at wide receiver and at running back? You could take it from best ball. You can take it from redraft, Josh. But I think there it's a conversation to have. So the way I see it is, let's say that you start your first two picks with a tight end and a quarterback in Kelsey and Mahomes. You could very well have the tight end one and QB one at their positions, but you're really going to have to nail the running back and receivers pretty perfectly in a 12 team league, best ball or redraft. If it's just purely a 12 team league, that's not a bet that I'm very excited to make. However, in a tournament where you're really trying to have these ceiling outcomes, I'm more willing then to say, you know what? Let's hope that Mahomes and Kelsey distance themselves at their respective positions and have a really big week, 15, 16, 17, and then I'm going to hit the nuts with some of these running backs and receivers that I take in rounds three through seven. So that that's kind of how I'm viewing it right now is it's agreed much easier to go Kelsey round one, Mahomes round four, round five last year than it is to get Mahomes in the second this year. So for me, 12 team regular league, uninterested tournaments. I still think that that's a viable start. I just always think back to 2020 where, you know, the most common start in FFPC drafts was, you know, when you got the one, You'd see Christian McCaffrey go at the one, and then you would see a, a Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson combination of somehow, and those teams all flopped out. I just think when it gets to be this much draft capital put into a stack and this common a stack, you're. I think that 
it, it gets to be very difficult for this one to really pay off. I think that there's certain situations where it will, if you're an excellent drafter and you're able to extract value and really nail rounds three, four, five, six, then I think this works out well. But I, I do think that it's, you're really almost trying to thread the needle, even though it seems like the low hanging fruit. And I think that a lot of people would push back with me on that one, but uh, I'm going to avoid stack number one, a lot in redraft, but Josh, I, I do have a bunch of Kelsey Mahomes underdog teams because you got to have a couple if you're if you're going for that big prize because they're you don't want to be you don't want to not have it if everybody else is doing it right. That's kind of how I view it. Is that at the very least, it's kind of a weird thing to totally fade in a big tournament when you're chasing ceiling outcomes. Say I don't like the best quarterback tight end duo in history, especially uh, when you look at how Kelsey scores compared to other guys. But I agree with you. It's like I said, it's not a bet that I'm trying to make in these normal 12 team leagues. I think it's pretty much tournament specific at this point. So we have a clear hierarchy developing at the wide receiver position. You have Justin Jefferson and Jamar chase. We talked about this when you came on first class fantasy. Um, you know, this is a more of a topic than this is more of a conversation than I think a lot want to admit, but those are your top two Tyree kill for the most part is wide receiver three overall fantastic season last year, 119 receptions, 170 targets, unbelievable how how good that Miami offense was for him and Waddle. Cooper Cup settled in at the four spot. Then when we get to wide receiver five, you have a little bit of a conversation. Are you on Stephon Diggs or CeeDee Lamb? Or is there another wide receiver you want to push up to wide receiver five overall? So I, I think these, these should be the next two guys. I lean Stephon Diggs. I leaned Lamb earlier in the offseason kind of thinking bills would really add somebody. And then they just kind of didn't, they drafted a tight end. And ultimately, if we just look at Stefan Diggs, he's averaged in three years with Buffalo. These are real stats. He has averaged in three years, 161 targets, 113 receptions, 1,396 yards and 10 touchdowns per season. You want to look at his lows. These are just grabbing the lows in each of those categories at least 154 targets, at least 103 receptions, at least 1,225 yards, and at least eight touchdowns. There's minimal true target competition. It's still Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, Don Kincaid. There's just nobody there that looks like he's in a, they're going to take Diggs' as lunch money. CeeDee Lamb now has Brandon Cooks, who I think is still probably at least a half-decent starting receiver in the NFL. Michael Gallup's now another year removed from the ACL tear. And as we mentioned before, they lost their offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, to the Chargers. Kellen Moore uh, being ousted was one of the weirdest moves of the offseason. All he did was lead the number one and then number four scoring offenses in the NFL the past two seasons. That, to me, does not sound like the guy that you should kick out. So because of all those reasons, I think it still digs over Lamb. Yeah, the the, the Kellen Moore thing is like an all-timer for Dallas. You keep Mike McCarthy, you get rid yeah. of Kellen Moore. I think in a couple of years, that's going to be comical. Um, wanted to uh, kind of pick your brain here. We also see a group of elevated wide receiver twos. We agree these guys are all studs. Devonta Smith, T. Higgins, Jalen Waddle. But which of these three has the best chance to lead their respective teams in PPR points? Because right now, like, you can make a case. They all make sense where they're being drafted structurally. But if these guys are going to be league winners, at least one of them needs to potentially flip the script. So I think in terms of in a vacuum, who's probably the most likely to lead their team in scoring, I'd say it's probably Devonta Smith just because of how close he and AJ Brown were in many ways. That being said, I think the best value is Jalen Waddle. And it's just because this Miami offense is literally just tire kill and Jalen Waddle in Philadelphia. You don't just have AJ Brown and Devonta Smith. You have Dallas Goddard. You have Jalen hurts, who is kind of his own offensive weapon in his own right. They have DeAndre Swift, who's now there. There's just a lot going on with the Eagles to make me think it's likely less consolidated than the Dolphins. So I think we let's just say that Tyreek Hill, A.J. Brown, and Jamar Chase go down. I'd actually probably give Waddle that biggest boost as well. He had the rookie receptions record in 2021. We know this guy can handle being the focal point of a pass attack. As a rookie, he was the low average depth of target, high volume player. In year two, he was the high depth of target, lower volume player. He crushed in both roles. He's just so unbelievably versatile with the game-breaking speed that Smith and Higgins don't have. So I would lean Waddle as the best value, even if I think Devonta Smith 
is closest to his counterpart, AJ Brown, in terms of how they're probably going to finish. Yeah, I think I think you you nailed that one, and I think that it, like in terms of contingent upside, it's definitely Waddle because I if Tyree Kill missed time, Jalen Waddle could be a like a thirteen target a game guy. It could be it could just be explosive, and I love how you bring up the fact that he won multiple ways. He's also been an ADP beater for back to back seasons. Um, so, you know, this could be three, three years in a row. I think he could return first round value, um, as well. I wanted to, uh, stick with, stick with this, uh, wide receiver discussion. I've coined the term, the money zone. Okay. This back-to-back years I've tweeted about this, where we've seen a ton of huge wins at ADP from the very end of the wide receiver twos down to the wide receiver fours. I think a lot of times you see wide receivers get pushed up. Uh, into that wide receiver two range, the high wide receiver twos, and you see some ADP misses. Last year, Cortland Sutton, Gabe Davis, uh, Brandon Cooks, Allen Robinson, a number of guys really failed in that range, whereas guys behind them really hit. Devonta Smith, who you talked about before, Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, Christian Kirk were all ADP smashes right in this range of high-end wide receiver threes down to the wide receiver fours. Which wide receiver threes and fours have league winning upside right now, Josh, or just potential to get into the top 15 scores at the wide receiver position. So we, we hinted on him earlier in the show. So there's Kadarius Tony. I mean, of, of course we have to mention him. If he stays healthy and runs 60, 70% of the routes, this, this is a pretty obvious wide receiver one candidate dangerous after the catch, always highly targeted per route, a good route runner on a great offense. There's been rumors that, the chiefs will expand his route tree heading into year two with them where he will be less limited to the short part of the field and run a little bit farther down the field, which we like to see, but I'll give you uh, two names where we don't just have to be like, Oh, like fingers crossed for health. When I think we all realize there's a reason Tony goes where he does uh, this, this has to be the most brittle receiver in football. One of those names. Uh, so stinky offense, there's quarterback uncertainty, but I, I love Marquise Brown. There's no target competition. This Arizona defense is not going to be stopping anybody. Marquise Brown was wide receiver seven per game through six weeks last year, over 18 PPR points a game before injury and before DeAndre Hopkins returned from suspension. Newsflash, Hopkins is not on this team anymore. He's currently floating around. That's good for Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown through those six weeks averaged nearly 11 targets, over seven receptions, 81 receiving yards and half a touchdown per game which is pacing for 122 receptions and nearly 1,400 yards over 17 games. I, I don't understand why his ADP is so low. I get that it's a bad offense with quarterback uncertainty, but there's just no target competition. And also, Kyler Murray will be back at the end of the season. So when the, all the money is won in fantasy, Marquise Brown, who should be quite good early in the season, then just gets that extra boost of getting Kyler back to end the season. And I've got one more name in this realm where it's not just a Tony cross your fingers for health. This is a player. He just had career highs across the board last year, 114 targets, 78 receptions, 1,015 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. That sounds like a pretty great season from Brandon. Ayuk. his pace with Brock Purdy in those final six regular season games was basically the same as that full season pace. He's kind of quietly this, this number one receiver in San Francisco and this is a team with potential to be near the top of the league in scoring. So I'm naturally going to want the number one receiving option in that offense. And I believe it is Brandon Ayuk. I love the Ayuk one. And I think that the teammate arbitrage is a great way of finding value in this zone of wide receivers. That's where the historical winners have been. You know, Jamar Chase going behind T. Higgins. Uh, we don't want to get too greedy, but Cooper Cup was getting drafted behind Robert Woods. And I love your Hollywood Brown one because... We've seen every single year the perception of a bad offense pushing down a wide receiver one. Uh, the, the clear number one target in a bad offense, Josh, if you're getting 30% target share, your offense can be pretty bad and you're still going to be putting up fantasy numbers. 2021 Brandon Cooks, a nice archetype for that. Want to quickly just pick your brain. Are you in or out on ADP uh, on Traylon Burks? Traylon Burks, I, I'm kind of with ADP. Maybe I'd lean over just because he's a young player who's the obvious receiver one in that offense. It's just not an offense that looks like the type that will produce a top 12 receiver. That's an article that I'm going to write for the 33rd team is essentially what do we need to get this top 12 receiver? Because we shouldn't really be drafting guys that we think have no shot at that truly elite range of outcomes. That's just not how you should probably be playing fantasy football 
with your first six, seven picks. So Burks has a hard time to get there, but he looks like he has an easy time to beat ADP. So I'll kind of be breaking him down more in depth as to why he's not a bad pick, but that this is kind of almost a floor pick as weird as that sounds for his profile. Yeah. I think that that's a good way of looking at it. It's a structural floor pick. And I always say that he's got top 18 upside, but I guess that that's kind of a a purgatory thing all in itself with uh, how wide receiver scoring is a little flatter than people think. Uh, And one guy that really smashed in his career and now he's being drafted in the seventh round is Mike Evans. Do you see him as a guy that could beat ADP here? I've started to like Mike Evans a little bit more and more, the more beat up he gets. Yeah, I'm starting to like him more as the ADP keeps dropping. But ultimately, this this Buccaneers offense doesn't look like one that's going to produce a ton of fantasy points. And Mike Evans' peripherals are actually just kind of average. He's flirting with around a 20% target share, which, of course, if you play with Tom Brady, that's a ton of targets. Tom Brady's led the NFL in pass attempts in two straight seasons by a like, considerable margin. So if you're looking at a guy that maybe gets around 20% of the targets in a Baker Mayfield offense, that starts to look a lot like the lesser version of those Odell Beckham and Cleveland seasons. And then I start to get less excited. So he's, I think he has a pretty good chance at beating his ADP. I just don't really see the ceiling with him. So I think I'd prefer Burks to Evans as of right now. Want to pivot over to the tight end position. Uh, This is like tight end. There's no variance. This is, it is what it is. Guys go where they go. You hardly ever see reaching FFPC drafts right now, which is a 1.5 tight end scoring uh, for PPR uh, tight end premium. Kelsey's around one lock. You see him occasionally go like two overall, uh, always in the top five. Mark Andrews, like we talked about, goes by the middle of the second round. TJ Hawkinson has settled in in the third round, occasionally gets dragged into the second. Then you see fourth round is George Kittle and Kyle Pitts. Maybe you get lucky one of them falls to the fifth round. And then the fifth or the sixth round, it's almost bang-bang picks with Darren Waller and Dallas Goddard with Waller going ahead of him usually. And then you drop 25 whole spots, Josh, and you're at the Engram, Fryermuth, David Njoku tier. And that's pretty much every single draft. Who is the best value of the players that I listed? I'd say the best value is Darren Waller. Darren Waller is the clear top receiving option for the Giants. They actually scored the 15th most offensive points last year out of 32 teams. That's above average. That was with no receivers. Their receiver room is still not great, but it's very deep. So that that raises the floor. Yet you look at these receivers and you go, well, none of these guys looks at all like a healthy Darren Waller. So if he's healthy, I think he puts up difference making fantasy production. I think he actually has a real case to be the tight end two overall in fantasy when all is said and done. But he's going to go so much later and some of those other guys like Kelsey, Andrews, Hawkinson. So for me, Darren Waller, the guy who had back-to-back seasons with at least 90 receptions, at least 1,145 yards. And in both those seasons, 2019 and 2020, he would have been the tight end two in fantasy in 2022 behind only Travis Kelsey. I understand there's been two injury-filled seasons, but again, it's tight end. It's the NFL. This happens. I I don't see any reason why Waller cannot return to form with uh, what should be a competent quarterback, a great offensive mind in Brian Dable, who was who came over to the Giants from the Bills last year. And again, just a receiver depth chart of fine, competent players, but nobody that looks like they can take Waller's targets away from him. I love the Waller answer. And Sigmund Blumo actually had this last week here on press coverage where, you know, he's all about Waller. He also likes Pitts a lot, but you know, we're trying to look for tight ends who can lead their teams in targets to have that truly elite upside. And Waller's it. And Brian Dable, I'm also very curious because Brian Dable's never had a move tight end like this where he's going to line the guy up all over the field. And I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but I remember the market was kind of neutral on Stefan Diggs when he first arrived in Buffalo in that Dable offense. Dable designed the whole scheme for him and was able to really rejuvenate him. Stefan Diggs was going in about the same range in the in FFPC drafts as Waller is right now. I don't think I don't think that sort of like league winning upside is there, but I do think Waller could be a guy that could be a 15 point per game tight end scorer, which is absolutely impactful uh, in this tight end premium type environment. Uh, and wanted to quickly pick your brain of the players I didn't list, or you could talk about this la- like the last tier here, Josh, but kind of off the grain. Who would be your bet to finish top three at the tight end position in scoring? A real dark horse 
or simply, you know, the Engram Firemouth and Joku tier is absolutely in play for this answer as well. I'll give you two late guys. I don't know if they're going to finish quite a tight end three, but where I think they can kind of thrust themselves into this conversation. One of them is Greg Dulcich, the Broncos tight end. He had a 17% rookie year target share. Pitts was around 20% as a rookie. So uh, that's actually pretty close. Greg Dulcich was one of four tight ends last year with multiple games of at least 80 receiving yards, 80 receiving yards. That's a lot for a tight end. He only played in 10 games as a rookie due to injury. So I think there's, there's real upside here with Sean Payton. Now the head coach of the Broncos, we could see Russell Wilson turn it around. And after Jerry Judy, there's not really any tar- like serious target earners in this offense, potentially aside from Judy and Dulcich. So that one, two punch could be very nice. The other guy would be Tyler Conklin of the New York Jets. There are no target hogs in New York after Garrett Wilson. Alan Lazard, not a target hog. Who knows what's happening with Corey Davis, Nicole Hardman, certified gadget player. There's there's a lot of targets for coming from Aaron Rodgers, and I think Conklin can get a lot of them. At least 58 catches, at least 552 receiving yards the past two seasons. If that bumps up, like low 60s for his receptions, 650 to 700 yards where he's getting a little bit more accurate targets. He can get down the field a little more because he is pretty athletic. Suddenly you're like, wow, 64 catches, 700 yards, eight touchdowns from Aaron Rodgers. That in some years can be the tight end three or tight end four. So Tyler Conklin's my pick, possibly the best tight end that Rodgers has ever played with. Yeah, I like that selection a lot. Dulcich is interesting. And I think that the the Chiga Conquo, Dalton Kincaid, Dulcich tier is interesting, um, you know, in terms of like potential upside going in, in a, a little bit later rounds. And they've all kind of a little bit more affordable than you would think, uh, you know, for the, the potential upside they have. Because I think a lot of people are kind of avoid, you know, that mid-tier tight end in general. So you might be able to find, you know, value from there. I like Fryermuth a lot. He had nearly 100 targets last year. And I think we're chasing a lot of Deontay Johnson uh, positive regression. It, it could just be Pat Fryermuth gets the touchdowns like he did his rookie season um, as Pittsburgh gets a little bit better. And then all of a sudden you're talking about a top five scoring tight end this year as well, only entering year three. Uh, wanted to, we, we've gone so long here. Uh, we're already at 45 minutes. So I want to really get into this. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Josh, is I think you're very good at discussing dead zone running backs. The dead zone, you did extensive research when you were at Player Profiler. You had some great takeaways, such as targeting younger players with pass-catching upside in the dead zone. That's great. I agree with you. However, the dead zone has been turned upside down. We see running back 10 was going like 13th overall in 2018. Running back 10 was going like 18th overall last year. Now running back 10 in a regular FFPC or underdog draft, expect them to go off the board like 26th or 27th. It's also the case with running back five. Running back five has seen the same dramatic shift. Basically, you have seen a de-emphasis of the non-top five, not like non, let's call them truly elite running back scorers. These guys have gotten pushed down and wide receiver has gotten pushed up. This year, you also have the double-edged sword of the big three quarterbacks getting pushed up. So running back keeps falling and falling. I want to see what you make of the new running back landscape and kind of how you see it from a macro perspective. Is the market just suddenly became correct or is, or is this a, a, an overcorrection? So the typically the dead zone in prior years before everyone talked about the dead zone and kind of changed the dead zone, as you mentioned, was like that round late round three early round four through like the round six running backs these were all uh, oh like do not draft these guys were expensive and yeah there were a lot of really bad picks there like mike davis on the falcons like dusty old david johnson who was supposedly was going to be the starter for one more year you got a lot of players like that we don't get as many players like that anymore I'll, i'll tell you where i think the the dead zone potentially can begin and there there's two names that really come to mind where I think there's a lot of red flags surrounding them. One of them is Joe Mixon. He's often going in the fourth, fifth round. And he's one of these guys where the dead zone back is like, oh, like guaranteed volume. Oh, there's guaranteed volume in this good Bengals offense. I actually don't even know who it is. They're probably going to sign someone or something's going to happen. But Mixon was outsnapped in two of those three playoff games by Samaj P. Ryan. I understand they let P. Ryan go. 
but it's hard to look at that depth chart where they never let Chris Evans play. They never let Travion Williams play. Chase Brown is a pretty unproven fifth round rookie running back who didn't have stiff college competition. This does not feel like a complete running back room. Mixon, I understand, had great pass volume in the receiving game last year, but all of his rushing stats were horribly inefficient. And the team even thought the backup should play more in the playoffs. So I think he starts to become a little bit concerning where it's like, oh, it's just guaranteed volume based on this depth chart today. The other guy that I think is concerning would be Aaron Jones. There, there's not much of a goal line role, most likely. I, I tweeted this very controversial thing out that I thought was hilarious because of how people just kind of put their heads in the sand when they saw it. I just tweeted out the Green Bay rushing touchdowns last year. A.J. Dillon led the team with seven. Christian Watson was second with two. And Aaron Jones was tied with Christian Watson for two. And I was like, guys, he's there's probably not a lot of goal line carries for him. He's never been a big rush volume guy. The pass game role is going to get shakier because you go from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Jordan Love's a little bit more of a mobile, younger play extender. And this pass game has better weapons than it did in recent years. Not only do we have breakout Christian Watson from last year, but they drafted Jaden Reed at receiver and Luke Musgrave at tight end in round two. Suddenly there's three pass catchers over the last two years, round two draft capital and Jordan Love and AJ Dillon. I start to really struggle to see where this like ultra fruitful fantasy relevant role is for Jones. And knowing that every running back is an injury concern. If I can't squint and see the elite upside, I'm probably not going to draft a whole lot of them in fantasy football. I think it's interesting. And I'll push back a little bit where Mixon did have his career high in terms of catches. So that could become something that could keep him afloat. Jones obviously has some pass catching ability as well. But I think like things change, but things still same uh, stay the same. You've identified two older running backs who have probably had their best fantasy seasons. So basically, we can kind of be in agreement. I, I think that the third round backs all have, you know, potential big time upside. You yes. know, you talk about the Brees Halls, the Stevensons, the Paul, you know, Pollard's a second rounder at this point. But I, I think the Gibbs, even Najee Harris, you know, they, they are there for a reason. But when yes. we get to that fourth round, I think the fourth round is the new dead zone. And when you need to start start treating it as such, how about running back 14, Travis Etienne, a guy who this was the kind of guy when he was, you know, a rookie that you were looking at as, you know, a dead zone beater. But the pass catching just has not been there as a pro. Is he a dead zone back for you or is he one that's a little bit live? I, I would say he's a dead zone back. He's a, a pretty phenomenal rusher. There were uh, like next gen stats, I believe it was, had him like borderline Nick Chubb for how he was doing per carry last year. Very explosive runner on a great offense. I don't think there's much risk of him losing his job, being that they pretty much just got rid of James Robinson and gave ETN all the work. There's new third round running back Tank Bigsby there, but I don't think there's anything Bigsby does as well as ETN. And I think that's very important for the dead zone is you always want these running backs that are kind of there by merit, have the draft capital like ETN does. And the, the Jacksonville receivers, this was our, our, my, my good friend and coworker, Jordan Vanek pointed this out. He said, you know, those Jacksonville receivers stayed crazily healthy last year. Kirk never really missed time. Zay Jones never missed time. Evan Engram didn't miss time. I know Calvin Ridley's there, but still it was the picture of health. So it does make sense why they wouldn't necessarily need to use ETN as much in the receiving game. So I think that receiving upside is still there because we know Lawrence and ETN have had massive receiving seasons put together where ETN's final two years in college at Clemson with Lawrence, he had over a thousand receiving yards in that two year span. So the receiving, I think it's still there. It's, it's dormant currently, but I, I think it, it definitely can come out at this point. So I would not say ETN is a dead zone back. I think what's interesting is the Doug Peterson year two, potentially he mixes it up a little more and does target the running backs as just a wrinkle because they were so wide receiver heavy last year and so tight end dependent. And so, uh, you know, one thing that that Trevor Lawrence was very good at was checking down to ETN in college. Maybe we see that as ETN becomes a little bit more comfortable as a pro and with the offense. So I think that's interesting. So we can, I can, we don't need to dive into it, but I think round five, the Walker Dobbins acres tier, that's an appealing tier to me. Are you in on these guys just from a, a step back level 
Uh, or do you find find uh, you know some concern with this tier of running backs? I I, I see the case for Dobbins and Acres. Kenneth Walker, I'm starting to have a harder time. I know my coworker Ryan Reynolds is quite high on Walker. I've been a little bit concerned. I, I just struggle to see what he definitively does better than Zach Charbonnet outside of being fast. So I think there's a little concern there. I haven't totally faded him because it's still someone that was very productive in his rookie year, entering year two, round two draft capital, good offensive line, good offensive environment. He is fast, as I mentioned. But I do think there's a lot of paths for Kenneth Walker to fail in fantasy that I don't think Dobbins and Akers have quite as many of those at this point. So I'd lean Dobbins, then Akers, then Walker if we're looking at those three in that tier. Yeah, it's interesting to me. And I think that Walker, when he gets to the sixth round, I've pulled the trigger a couple times. I do have concerns. I love Zach Charbonnet coming out of school, and I think he's a complete back. But I do think that being a home run hitter is not always a bad thing when we're talking about our RB2 in terms of potentially game-winning weeks. So I'm not completely out on Walker. Now we get to the real dead zone. This is like the traditional dead zone. But now, Josh, you're talking about the end of round five, usually round six through round seven. Alexander Madison, Miles Sanders, Damian Pierce, Rashad White, David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift, Dalvin Cook, James Conner, and then the Pacheco, Javante Williams, James Cook guys. Those guys you can sometimes get in round eight. Sometimes they creep into round seven. This is the real dead zone, right, Josh? This is like no no bones about it, but now it's later, right? Yeah, so there, there's some of these backs I like, some I don't like. The, the most obvious ones I don't like, Alexander Madison is just like such a dead zone back. He's never reached 500 rushing yards in any of his four NFL seasons. People say, oh, he was behind Dalvin Cook. You know what? Backup running backs are pretty cheap. And Josh, and someone, how many carries did he have last year? It was like, like people talk about how many he's got 250 carries. You're asking him to triple up the carries plus. Yeah, he, he needs like this monumental increase in work. The Vikings have said many times that if Madison is their opening day starter, it's going to be a full-blown committee. They haven't been shy about that. Why would they? I, I think the fantasy community is really the only people out there that are like, oh, Madison's going to get 300 touches gift wrapped to him. That's not really how it works. And Madison signed this two-year $7 million deal. That's backup running back money. I mean, it just seems like there have been so many chances for another team to look at Madison and go, oh, that is a capable starter. Let's sign him as our starter. Nobody has ever done that. The Vikings did not do that. They drafted him and gave him a very obvious committee back salary he's not fast he's kind of fine but not great anywhere dead zone back uh another guy i'll mention james cook really feels like a dead zone back i think he's pretty unlikely to get the large goal line role because of his size and then there's damian harris that they signed who had i think 15 rushing touchdowns two years ago josh allen as we know is a always a red zone goal line type threat and if you're not going to get a lot of goal line work and you're small and you're probably not going to get a lot of carries. Then we hope it comes in the pass game. And, uh, Ooh, James cook under a 6% target share as a rookie with an average depth of target under two yards, which is very low. So he's not running like Austin Eckler type borderline receiver routes. He's just catching some dump offs. We know Josh Allen doesn't dump off very much. Very, very hard for me to see how James cook improves at the goal line and receiving and suddenly bulks up to handle more carries. I think all we're doing is looking at Bill's running back and just assuming he's going to be awesome. So James Cook is somebody that I have almost zero exposure to despite loving the offense overall. So I have taken uh, a good amount of James Cook in the eighth round. I'll push back. I think that this is, mm-hmm. this, is a polarized, this is a polarizing one, Josh, because like you're with Matt Kelly is with you completely. And then Mike Shope, who I think is probably my most respected Bill's guy, uh, you know, around from the deep end. Uh, and also does local radio up in Buffalo for them. He's on Damian Harris' side too. So I'm on the James Cook side with with Memphis Young of the Dynasty War Zone. I think James Cook absorbs the Devin Singletary role, and I think he's an explosive running back. Damian Harris has also been a guy that struggled to stay healthy. And I think that chasing the Bills' running back position is not the worst strategy going because we've seen ADP wins. Last year, not as much, but the year before, Devin Singletary was going, uh, you know, in a similar range. You had a Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, uh, you know, argument. And then we saw Devin Singletary down the stretch really help us a lot. Um, so we, we don't, yeah, we can bump heads a little bit on this one, but I'm with you on, on, on the rest. Uh, wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit more 
because last year the running back threes just crushed Tony Pollard, Ramondre Stevenson, Josh Jacobs was a running back three in a lot of August and, and uh, September drafts, especially in high stakes. And if he was an RB two, he was like RB 23, RB 24. And then Miles Sanders was like a forgotten man. All of these guys returned top 15 uh, a production at the position. Is there an RB three that you see that could really, really flip leagues upside down and return like top 15, potentially RB one uh, scoring numbers? So the, the guy I'm most confident in, he is a high end RB three. It's kind of like Josh Jacobs, but he is in this RB three range. He does go in generally seventh, eighth, ninth round of fantasy drafts. This is probably going to be my running back flag plant for 2023. This guy's been in the league for four seasons. He's averaged 229 carries, 39 receptions, over 1,200 yards, and seven and a half touchdowns per season with at least 235 touches each of those seasons. This is a durable guy. He just got signed to a three-year deal with $11 million in guarantees. That's a big investment. Yes, he's playing alongside a rookie, but the rookie that he plays alongside is 25 pounds lighter than David Montgomery making David Montgomery almost certainly the favorite for goal line work. How are we not excited about David Montgomery when he's playing behind a top offensive line, the number five overall scoring offense from last year, the team that had the most PPR fantasy points at running back last year was the Detroit lions. Jameer Gibbs is awesome. He's better than David Montgomery. And he's also 199 pounds. And for those of you that think there's 300 touches to go around in a running back room, you are sadly mistaken. There's usually about 500. I don't think Jameer Gibbs is going to get more than 200 to 225 touches his rookie season, leaving a ton of room for David Montgomery. I think David Montgomery gives you RB2 production each week. And any week that Jameer Gibbs misses due to injury or is just not as much a part of the game plan, David Montgomery is a top eight fantasy running back in those weeks. So the, the floor for Montgomery is better than where he's getting drafted. And he has the league winning ceiling the best offensive line of his career, the, the best overall offensive environment, the best play calling. This is a good running back. And I just think people have been uh, very bored with it. round three, round four, David Montgomery. And for some reason, they're not in on round eight, David Montgomery in a much better situation. I absolutely love him. He's my favorite dynasty buy, and he's currently my highest exposure running back in all of these best ball drafts. I love it, Josh. And I, you, we had Sigmund Bloom on last week, and he talked about how he likes Gibbs and Montgomery a lot. And I think that there's a situation where Ben Johnson maximizes his talent. You have Amon Ross St. Brown. You have Jamison Williams, who is now missing the start of the season. You have a rookie tight end. I think his best second and third best weapons are going to be running back and running back. And I think Gibbs is going to catch an absolute ton of balls. But I do agree with you. David Montgomery has big-time touchdown equity uh, in his range of outcomes. And last year was his highest yards per reception season. So if Gibbs does miss time, I agree with you. He's he's potentially a league winner in that offense. Josh, you were awesome. Super generous with your time. Give me one handcuff running back that you are really liking to draft. And David Montgomery doesn't count. No, he doesn't count. So I think what we have to do here is you always want to look at who the the shiny new toy, the the sexy early running backs are, because people hate to imagine this guy underperforming or getting injured. And I think Bijan Robinson is the absolute sexiest shiny new toy, the golden boy. So I really like Tyler Algier. The guy had 1200 yards as a rookie fifth round pick against all odds. He's pretty good at football. Should anything happen to Bijan Robinson? I think Algier gives you nearly the same fantasy production and he is not even one of the earliest handcuffs off the board. It makes no sense. Well, that one hurts a lot, Josh. I, I, I don't want to even think about Bijan Robinson missing any time. Let everybody know where they can find your work. You can find all of my work on the33rdteam.com. You can find me on Twitter at jlarkytweets. Theo, thanks for, uh, we'll, we'll just call this episode 12 that we've podcasted together. Another really fun show with you. I'm going to, just a shout out to, to Matt Kelly, the podfather. I'm going to start labeling the episodes with my episode count. And I'm also going to do my Josh Larkey total running count uh, in the show notes. Uh, everybody, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, make sure you tune in. We have Stack Hunters with Bradley Stalder, our new best ball show. Uh, that's Tuesday night. That's tomorrow evening. Uh, that's going to be a really, really cool one. Bradley's done a lot of great uh, best ball work 
uh, for us. And this is going to be no doubt continuing. Very, very sharp guy. He's got some great stuff coming along. And then tune in Thursday. I will be back uh, right here on YouTube. And you can find me for First Class Fantasy. I'm going to have Chris Vaccaro and Nando Defino, both of The Athletic, both really, really sharp guys. We're going to talk a little bit of high stakes. And uh, yeah, tune in next week. We're going to have another press coverage as well. Josh, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, this was awesome, man. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.